bitch thoughts Sports news that top You know Chris said uh, Who got you taking all the shots Tell me like who got traded, who did not And what's the latest, well let's debate Just trust the process, you know we got this in-depth analysis Who's the baddest? Yes, right here, behind the line No bout, there's no crime Like and one, go for two Three, pull and drop to the hoop We cover it all inside the park The newest stud up from the bar It's deeper stalks DTB, you're tuned into the best you'll see Welcome to the Deepish Thoughts Podcast, episode number 30. I'm Chris Wardell, joined, as always, by the great Anju Kana. Mr. Kana, we got 30 of these. The great. Th- the great? Wow. Are you disputing it? No, I'm, I'm just flattered and surprised somewhat. Why would you be surprised? I'm nothing but complimentary. Uh-huh. I can differ, but I also <laughs> just assume that, you know, like... Low these many years, you've continued to keep my head as small as possible. But maybe this is that big breakout. Why is it? We're thirty in now, so thirty is in. it time to to really let me loose, let the shackles free. What is what is an Anshukana free of shackles entail? Oh man, a lot of one uh, can only a, guess. A lot of latent racism, I'm guessing. <laughs> Not late, just <laughs> extremely overt is where I would go on that. Uh, so, Mr. Kana, we are about a week into NBA free agency, five days, I guess, and uh, though technically it hasn't started, players will be actually be able to sign their contracts on tomorrow, on tomorrow, tomorrow, on tomorrow. Yeah, on tomorrow. Can I tell you? I just did a. I just. <laughs> first of all, can I tell you that I'm saying the phrase "Can I tell you" far too yeah. much, and I'm becoming aware Your of thing. it. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I just, I just recorded. Uh, an episode of the show with a comedian who I totally dig named Sean Jordan. And I kept like multiple times instead of in the world, I heard myself saying on the world and I don't know what's wrong with me. In what context? I'm trying to think. So, so this is a, you'd be talking to, yeah. So Sean is, uh, I, I became familiar with him through a podcast that I totally dig called Doug loves movies hosted by Doug Benson. And, uh, and it's you know it features a panel of like super duper hilarious comedians on every episode, and I was talking to Sean, who you know admittedly isn't the world's biggest comedian, about like how cool it is to to do some of those episodes and and be on the panel with some of the people he's been on like you know John Hamm, Anthony Jeselnik, uh, etc. And I mentioned that on one of the episodes I was jealous of him because he had done. Um, he had done an episode with one of my favorite comedians on the world, uh, Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, semantically speaking, you're mm-hmm. not off. It's, right? like, like, it's like that standing online nonsense. Right. Like, oh, I mean, like, we're not underground last I checked. True. True. In which case, we would be, unless we're both recording from our local mine shafts. I think that we. <laughs> We're we're technically on the world, and therefore, assuming they also aren't down in their local mine shafts, that they also they too are on the world, but whoever you're speaking of. So, you know, like I, I think that your point was fine. You you inadvertently tripped over into reality. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that that's what I was aiming for, but or like, onto reality, as it were. I, I don't know what the correct phrase there is there you go uh but i i hate people who like i don't understand people who say like standing online i think that's stupid and so by 
by extension, I think my own comments are stupid. Right, let me ask you, are you an RBI guy or RBI's guy? Oh, that's an interesting question. That is an interesting question. Michael Franco will end up with 20 RBI this season. Probably RBIs. Or, or like, RSBI. I kind of uh, like that. I've never gone really, RSBI. Never RSBI. Uh, I would, okay, I would okay. say RBIs. Okay. I, I, I'm, I've converted to RBI. Okay. I think I'm fully in there. In well, that space. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. I guess RBIs doesn't necessarily make sense, but I don't know. What are you going to do? At least we know what RBIs are. I'm sure we've lost whatever few listeners we had. Hey, we we do surprisingly well. And let's (laughs) let's take this opportunity to thank the wonderful people who do listen to the show every week and who take the time to to rate and review us on iTunes. You guys have been incredibly generous with with positive comments and and five-star ratings. So thank you guys so much. Yes, we are overwhelmed. Even the great Chris Ornell is overwhelmed. So thank you guys. Much appreciated. Great does feel accurate there. Yeah. It seems like it rolls off the tongue better for you than for me. Uh, what are you going to do? So we are uh, we are five days into NBA free agency. Um, let's talk about the stuff that happened today before we really start to go back and recap stuff. Dion Waiters right now finalizing a four, looks like a four-year deal with the Miami Heat. We don't have numbers yet, but I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this is going to end up being a bad contract for the Heat. I think so. So, all right, we need to level set before we dive into these because bad contract, is that in terms of – what market value is or like what we think he will be because Dion waiters was going to get paid. Like, mm-hmm. is it a bad offer that the Kings offer out of Porter max money? Or is it, you know, this is what the market will bear. If you want to win him, you got to spend X amount. Like, I think that waiters was going to get paid. He's been touring. Like I think mm-hmm. that there's, there's definitely a market for him. So, while I agree, I don't think he'll be worth what he's going to make in four years. And if that's ultimately what we're talking about, then that's fair. I, I also don't think that they overpaid for him, if that makes sense. Well, I think it's going to be a thing where we look back at it and say, oh boy, that's a terrible contract. Because you have to be skeptical of a guy who has a career year and a contract year. And that's very, very much what happened with Waiters last year. Now, people argue— Especially him. Yeah, oh, right. especially, especially yes, especially someone with some of the issues that plagues Dion Waiters. But but we talk about a guy who, you know, a career high, well, I guess almost a career high. He scored 15.9 points in 13-14 for the, war, uh, for the uh, Cavs. But 15.8 points, certainly his most efficient year ever shot. And by the way, most efficient year ever constitutes shoot, shooting, you know, 42% from the field. Did almost shoot 40% from, from three, which is, you know, very solid by NBA standards. But only forty, only sixty-four percent from the foul line, uh, you know, and all of his sort of secondary numbers were way higher than they are before. Uh, high, career high in rebounds, career high in assists by almost one and a half, and he only had four and four point three last year. So I don't, I don't think we're gonna see a Dion Waiters who signs. I don't know. Let's call it, and this is completely speculative. Let's call it. Four-year, $60 million contract with the Heat. Um, 60? 60. Yeah. 
Yeah, that would be a lot. I, I, I will agree with you. But again, that, that seems like the going rate. I thought it'd be 50 ish, but, um, 60 sounds right. If he's, and it's, it's hard because like, you know, you, you're at this crossroads of, am I buying low on an ascending player Mm -hmm. that always had the talent or am I just paying for past performance and he'll never reach that again. And he certainly will be hard pressed to reach it continuously for four straight years. So it, it really is uh, like a really interesting piece of the puzzle. Like guys like this, not, not the guys that, you know, mm. but these types, but the, the waiters types um, are the ones that really fascinate me. And that I agree that generally it feels, and this might just be narrative street or recency bias or confirmation bias, whatever. Mm. But I, I feel like these rarely work out. Like it's so often we talk about like, holy cow, Cole Aldrich is making what now? <laughs> like, you know, that, that kind of deal. Well, the old guy, the old one was uh, the Luke Longley contracts and like the Ronnie Cycles of the world. If we're going to go oh, back yeah, to the like firing contract of X player X. Yeah. The late, like late nineties, bad NBA contracts. But, you know, I have an issue with this because I just, so I, I think, first of all, I think we can both agree that the heat massively overperformed last year. Like, I don't, I don't think this, this roster as it's currently set up is as good as they played over the second half of the season. I also don't think Dion Waiters is a starting shooting guard for a team that has, like, you know, mid-playoff, mid-seed playoff no. aspirations. He's just not efficient enough, actually. And I actually like Tyler Johnson a lot, and this is going to keep Tyler Johnson in his giant contract via the Brooklyn Nets uh, on the bench because of it. So, I mean, you also have, like, uh, the uh, the Justice Winslows of the world. You have the you know, the MacGrubers. You have the Magruder. You have the MacGrubers. MacGruber. MacGruber, great <laughs> film, but not necessarily relevant right to the Miami Heat. And uh, let me and, ask. And Josh Richardson, but it seems like there's a, yeah. my point is there's a log jam, and Waiters is now going to be paid like a star, and I don't think you can even kind of assume that he's going to produce like a star over the course of this contract. How much? That's all well taken, but how much of this is? the heat failing on Hayward and Pat Riley oh, sure. thinking, Oh, we got him. We got to throw money at somebody though. Now. Um, yeah. I mean, it plays a part for sure. I would say, but Cause who like, all right. So you, they, they're the incumbent team with waiters. So they yeah. saw that production, their fan base, I guess, whatever of it lingers saw it last mm-hmm. year. So, you know what, to what extent, like, to what extent do they value what Waiters has done more than other teams? And therefore they're like, well, look, we can just say, you know, he's averaged, he averaged 15 or 16 a game last year. We've seen what he can do. What we're justified in coming back and spending a fraction of what we would have earmarked for, um, for Hayward and use it on Waiters. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's definitely some point, uh, some truth to that. I know that also begs the question, like how legitimately did the Heat think they had a chance of landing Hayward? Because I never, like, you know, yeah, he, he talked to them and all of that, but I never thought there was a chance that Hayward was going to the Heat. Like, I always, no, I always thought it was Celtics or Jazz, and, you know, at the end of it I thought it was Jazz, but you know, we saw what happened. Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree, but I think that Pat Riley lives in a different reality than we do. Like, I think oh, yeah. that he thinks. You know, he probably thinks like Hayward would be crazy not to go to Miami, right? Mm-hmm. And like he, 
to his credit, like they, that Heat organization is generally overachieved over mm-hmm. his under his watch. So you know maybe he thinks fine, we don't need him. He, he could have been a part of something awesome, but we're going to move on with Dion Waiters and Dragic and whoever. Like I mean, I, I don't know, I don't see it, but mm-hmm. maybe he sees it, you know. And and that I feel like that he probably thought that Hayward was very likely to be a part of that. Now, I mean, you talk about recency bias, and, you know, this is, like you said, a fairly smart organization, fairly shrewd organization, but, you know, they're also, their sample size is one year of good behavior, Dion Waiters. I just, you know, I don't know if, if they know what they're getting into with four years of guaranteed contract, high-paid Dion Waiters. Yeah, no, I I, uh, I completely agree, and I think the reason why we're spending this amount of time even talking about the waiters isn't because he's worth that time. Mm-hmm. It's because he em- symbolizes so much of like the different types of free agents and the approaches to free agency that we see every single year. These are the guys that when we're looking at the trade machine and we're trying to match salaries, these are the guys that end up being the key pieces to move around mm-hmm. because of, because they're kind of within earshot of the players that actually matter right and that i think that is an interesting way of looking at this because if if pat riley indeed thinks that he's got this like legit contender on the horizon um and he's got kind of a supporting cast around which to build around a superstar um you know i I think that it makes players like waiters important to put piecing those types of deals together to make moves right like i think there's probably some of that to this yeah, for sure. And uh, the other reason being that it just happens to be the top story on uh, oh, okay. <laughs> on my list right now, just in terms of stuff that's going on today. Uh, the, the next thing we have on the list, Pacers are going to continue their rebuild. They're waving Monte Ellis. I still think there's a there's definitely a place in the league where oh. you know Ellis can be a, a significant player and a useful player for a good team. Yeah, I guess. I don't know how you define significant. Like, I think he'd be a great off-the-bench I think he's a qual- like high-quality sixth man for a good team. Agreed. I totally agree with that. I, I bet the Knicks would, or the Cavs would love to have him if they ultimately shipped JR with somebody for whatever, like, for a better player. I, I think that Monte Ellis' volume stats are going to always be at least interesting. Mm-hmm. And then if you plug him in to a team that's pretty rock-solid, and you use him as a as a Crawford in his prime ish type player, that'd be that's a pretty interesting little player. Yeah, I could not agree more. I don't I, I the Cavs actually came to mind with me too. I don't know how that works for them though, and uh you know, I don't know if Monte Ellis helps you get closer to the Warriors. I'll tell you one thing, Jose Calderon I sure think, doesn't. No, he doesn't. <laughs> but I think that Monte Ellis as your JR replacement, like using him, like assuming JR needs to go and mm-hmm. say a mellow deal to match salaries or somebody else, you know, maybe it makes sense to get the cheaper version, which you'd have to assume Monte Ellis would be because JR signed that pretty mm-hmm. decent sized extension. Um, and I think that he's a, he's an affordable way for a team to get some points off the bench. And, you know, those types of players can totally we make the difference in the playoffs. We talked about, you know, 
the fact, the complete and utter lack of any supporting cast member doing anything for the Cavs in those games in the finals. Whereas a couple of years ago, Delhi was the type of player, to, and maybe it was by default or necessity, but mm-hmm. there were no Delhi types. No, absolutely not. And, you know, they've re-signed Corver to a deal bigger than I thought Corver was going to get. Yeah, I, I mean, we de- is that relative to, like, last year or, you know, going forward? Because I think we can agree that this cap is going to is changing quickly. And, Very much. You know, and we and we I don't know that any of us and I don't even know if some of the teams know just how much that's shifting and how quickly that'll happen. Yeah, it's, we've seen a real fundamental shift in terms of spending and free agency over the course of a year. Like it's been I mean, we've had some stuff happen in the last couple of days, but it has been relatively slow this year. And aside from your your super contracts by the Currys and the Blake Griffins of the world, fairly restrained at least more restrained than i thought it was going to be in terms of handing out giant contracts well what did you think of the lowry deal because i am interested to to hear because i think that fits what you're saying yeah i thought he was i thought somebody was going to overpay him i thought he'd get four from somebody leaving the raptors um (laughs) now you know minnesota was obviously tied to him for a long time but 330 you know Basically, thirty-three a year for three years. Look, <laughs> we have to kind of get our head around the fact that thirty-three million dollars is now sort of the going rate for that kind of player, and Ugh. and that is not. It, it, it sounds crazy, but it's like okay, yeah, that's just that's what these these dudes make right now. Uh, yeah. So I don't I don't really have any problem. I I think the Raptors are happy that they got him on a three year deal instead of a four year de- uh, deal, and certainly a three year oh. deal rather than the five year deal, which was possible. Oh, totally, and that's why um, you were talking mega deal, and Lowry obviously didn't, I guess, qualify for that exact word, despite the yearly salary that you're mm-hmm. saying. But I, I mean that you know he he to me is really an interesting case. Because in the past, there was, you know, and when I say the past, I mean the last, say, decade, mm-hmm. he's like the definition of Max guy to me. Like, you know, perennial, not perennial, I guess perennial all-star, oh, right? Like as of made, late. As of late. As of late. And, I mean, the type of player that he's not young, but he's, you know, he's fine. He's a good player. He's a deserving all-star. Mm-hmm. And you know, you project him to at least over the first two or three years maintain that level. He to me, like that. I think that this this new CBA and um, the way the contracts are being built is is it's much more creative. Like it's not just max or no. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there is opportunity for creativity because three at a hundred is crazy in terms of any sort of past amount. So I'm I'm really fascinated, and I'm wondering what it means for like the middle class of the NBA, because I don't think Kyle Lowry gets three for a hundred from a contender, right? And not just because the contenders have good point guards, but just because, just because of the type of player he is. So I'm really interested to see if there's like this, um, I don't know, this new like value placed on the middle class teams on these upper middle class players, which I think that Lowry totally defines. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I think 
I think the Raptors did a really nice job with the three one hundred. Well, and mm-hmm. it's also worth pointing out that they they re-signed Ibaka to a three-year deal as well, which mm. make, makes me think, without looking, that DeRozan also has three years left. And they're putting yep. themselves in a position where, you know, they've got basically giving themselves three years to compete and then giving themselves the opportunity kind of for a blank slate. Uh, but, to what end, though? What do you mean? I That's mean, what I'm saying. Because the cap flexibility is the most important thing in basketball, other than having a superstar. But do they, they don't have cap flexibility for three years. I'm saying, but I mean, like, three years from now, like, they do. Hi. Right, right, right. Right. I guess that's the point. I guess they're so they're kind of banking on, and we talked about this either last week or two weeks ago. I think it was last week. Well, they're kind of banking on hopefully next year LeBron goes last, mm. and now you know we're competing with the Celtics and the Seventy Sixers, of course, mm-hmm. for the Eastern Conference title for the next two years, and we've put ourselves in that place where we can do that if we build around these three, two, basically two and a half really good players. Yeah, and for the record, DeRozan does have uh, – he has four years left on his deal, but the fourth year is a player option, and in this climate, nobody picks up player options unless you're, you know, you're Dwayne Wade. So uh, let's, assume, let's assume he's not going to pick that up, and he will be you know, on that same timeline as Ibaka and Lowry. I, you know, I think it's interesting because it does – it gives them three years. It, you know, it gives them three years to try and put other pieces around those guys. And uh, it, it gives them a very clear timetable moving forward rather than just some ambiguous, we're going to try and compete until. That's true. I, you know, that is actually a very good point because we were talking about Danny Ainge's bizarre sort of, we're just going to keep as many doors open and mm-hmm. retain our flexibility as much as possible mindset. And I think that Ujiri is the complete opposite, yeah. right? Like he has got this plan, like it's, and it's really it looks really neat, actually, to your point. Like, those, that three-year hard time frame makes – and it makes sense. You know, it makes – and I don't think that um, – and, and, again, I think that it's creative the way they did it with Lowry because I do wonder if other teams are out there offering, you know, four for 80, five for 90, whatever, five for 100 maybe. I think, more, I think more than that. You know. I think more than that was available to him. Okay. You think he got so? All right. Let me ask you. Three, three for a hundred is what he took. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think he was being offered from, say, I don't know, not the Kings, but like, all right, you said the Timberwolves. They're probably going shorter and less money, or maybe longer term and less money. Like, what, what are the teams that were viable candidates, and what do you think was being offered to them? Yeah. So I'm looking at you know the deal signed by the top point guards in this market. Uh, you know, Teague. Like what Teague? What's Teague looking at? Well, Teague signed ninth. Uh, Teague signed uh, three nine, basically three at nineteen a year, so three fifty seven. Okay. The, from the okay. Timberwolves, and that that's a good deal for the Timberwolves. But to get Teague at nineteen, and again, this is it's a reflection on the modern NBA than more than anything mm-hmm. else. But Teague at nineteen seems like an absolute bargain. Um, no question, man. I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you a team that would have been interesting uh, and potentially could have done something in, in a sign-and-trade, much like they did with another player later. How about a Kyle Lowry in a sign-and-trade to replace uh, a Chris Paul in, with the Clippers? 
that's exactly what I was going to ask, what Chris Paul is going to be making the yeah. next few years, we'll, because we'll um, Lowry's that, yeah. obviously a little, was it? Well, we don't really, Paul opted into the last year of his contract, and that's 24.6, so the Rockets are still going to have to re-sign him, but sure. yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Lowry is, uh, he's not Chris Paul, but he's the next guy on the list after Paul. Yeah. Oh, definitely of available or switching or yeah, available players. Maybe I, I, I it's going to be interesting. And I think that, um, the T contract also kind of fits neatly into a comp against Lowry because of the time frame and mm-hmm. the ages. I think Lowry's like a little older, two years older, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. Than T. So I guess that, that's, that's a pretty interesting comparison. I'll, because I think that I do wonder, like, it, could the Timberwolves have gone with another, you know, forty million for over three years for for Lowry, assuming that you know Towns is up in what two years, Wiggins two, and uh, and Butler's obviously getting older towards the end of that. So well, and Wiggins probably up be extension eligible now because Embiid's extension eligible now this summer. Okay, I doubt they do that right now. Uh, why wouldn't wait. you? Why? I mean, if you wait, you run the risk of he's a restricted free agent. And but then, then you just say, and man, then you run the risk of the Nets are one hundred percent going to give him a contract offer, and <laughs> and you true. run the risk of well, that that's the thing that doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't understand what the Nets end game is offering these these contracts to the restricted free agents. Last year it was Crab and. Um, Oh, who was the other one last year that got matched? Uh, Crab and somebody uh, else. But this year they offered Otto Porter, and they're they're essentially doing that team a favor by offering these guys a contract, even if it's you know the max they can offer because that's less than that guy could have made just re- re-signing with the the current team. Maybe it's like their their method to check double check like there's a reason why those teams didn't extend those players yeah. maybe there's something about them that the team didn't like and you run and you roll the dice because if you're the nets you've got no firsts in the foreseeable future so you might as well be competitive there's just nothing mm. good happening for you otherwise so um you know i mean i guess in the second round you can move up a pick or two but obviously that doesn't matter and if you feel like you can get a decent chip that you could either flip or you know maybe assemble, cobble together like a pseudo eight seed, which they're obviously way far away from right now. But, you know, that that's clearly to me what they've been trying to do, not just this year, but in last off season, but that, you know, and that kind of makes sense to me. I guess, but I mean, you sort of have to know what's going on here. And, you know, was there ever really a chance that they were going to get any of these guys that they offered these contracts to? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, maxing on Porter is not a bad thought because you're not going to get that kind of player. It doesn't seem like anytime soon, so right. might as well throw all the money at him. But it feels like it. All it does is push up the Wizards' timeline and uh, and force them into accepting that offer, which you know the the Wizards have already said they're going to match the offer to Porter because of course they're going to offer the ma- uh, match the offer to Porter because they're getting a bargain. Because they're getting him for one less year than they would have to if they resigned him, and for less money than they would have to if they resigned him. So yeah, of course they're going to do that. Now, was it a little bit different last year with Alan Crabb? Yeah, I mean he was he was fairly highly thought of going into last offseason, coming off that season with the Trailblazers, and you know God knows we had no idea that contract would be the noose around the neck of the Trailblazers that it is 
<laughs> currently. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess there was a slight chance they would have gotten Crab. None they're going to get Porter. None they were ever going to get Porter. I don't why even offer him that contract. I just I don't get that at all. Why waste time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I guess again, I think that there's a that outside chance that had the had the Wizards really valued Porter and granted his is a different circumstance because he was hurt. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like if they go for Porter and they spend you know, they, they didn't extend him when they could have. And that's what I'm saying with Wiggins, too. Like, I'd say the, the Timberwolves decide not to extend him because he's, you know, he's had some erratic years here. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he had a pretty, all things considered, not like a super promising season, I would say. I mean, I, I still like him, obviously. I'm sure most people do, but just not, not a super promising season. So say this thing plays out where the, the Timberwolves don't extend him um, and then he's up. Then why why wouldn't the Nets take that shot on a talent like Wiggins? I mean, worst comes to worst, yeah, but you did quote unquote did the T Wolves a favor by resigning him or by offering him that package. But now the Timberwolves are on the hook for what you thought you deemed was his value. So why let a team get out get get away with not spending the right amount on a certain player? But that's my point is that it's not even spending the right amount. They're actually that they're doing them a favor. Like, they're creating discounts in the marketplace for these top restricted free agents because you're signing them. When's the last time a notable restricted free agent changed teams? I don't remember it. It's Ashik. I remember that happening with him. He wasn't, I don't know how notable <laughs> he was, but that was the whole thing. Yeah. No, but I just mean, like, look, I, I get why they're doing it. You're You're saying that you don't think that the Nets should even do it. Like why? Like why waste your time? Well, who knows? Maybe maybe some team says, "Yeah, screw it. We don't, you know, we don't want to spend that money on that guy." Like I, I mean, I I get why they're the ones to do it because it's not, you know, maybe you know you might think they're getting a bargain on Porter, but otherwise they're getting Porter for even cheaper for a year, and then they're getting one more year to decide if they want to extend him at that super max, right, or at whatever at whatever amount. I guess, and you know, if you're going to offer the restricted free agents, that's fine, but. Go after restricted free agents you think you can get. Like, I think there is roughly a 700% chance that the Nets are, <laughs> are going to try and sign both Caldwell, Pope, and Noel to, restrict, to contracts as restricted free agents. And, of course, both are going to get matched by their current teams. Now, if they were to go after, like, a Jonathan Simmons or, like, Andre Roberson from the Thunder, somebody like that, <clears throat> and, you yeah. get, and even, even, like, a Jermichael Green, who I actually think is, like, super-duper underrated – for the Grizzlies. Okay. Like, maybe if you overpay that guy, you can get that guy. But you're not going to get a star restricted free agent. It's just you're not going to. I don't I don't yeah. waste your time. Just, just I don't know that, better things like, to do. KCP is a star, though, or anything. Like, I, I, well, that's true. He's much more... And even, like, Porter's probably the best example of what you're saying, where there's, like, just there's no chance, because... Uh. The Wizards are competitive, and they have the money and all that, and it makes literally no sense for them not to match on Porter. But you know, you just you just take your shot because you just don't know why. I mean, who knows? Maybe the player says, "Hey, I love Brooklyn. Like, I love that idea, of that organization. I love the idea of, it and of being the best player on that team." And screw you guys. Like, I'm going to be very unhappy if you if you re up with me, you know, and I'm going to be a crappier player for you. That's, that stuff happens. You just don't know. I, well, I don't know it absolutely like, happens, I, but I don't know. And I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on the KCP one because, I mean, I guess you can see a world where 
the the KCP timeline sort of lines up and and parallels that Alan Crabb timeline, even though they're different exactly. players. And Caldwell Pope actually plays defense, whereas Crabb is not familiar with that end of the court. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I get that. Maybe whatever, but I don't know. It just seems like it is banging your head against a wall to me. I get that, and it, it is it's just like really interesting to me because. The NBA's contract situation, it's not like the NFL at all, right, or the MLB or whatever. It's not just throwing money. It's like you can get very creative, mm-hmm. and it's not impossible to understand from a fan perspective. So, I like, I love it. I think that it's really interesting to, to talk about because – and we know the players so much better. Like, yeah. the marginal players are very visible. So, it's, it's really an interesting thing to me. Uh, one more free agent signing today. <laughs> Swaggy P. Going oh, to going to the, the GSW. Um, why is it weird? Well, I just like why. If you're Golden State, why? I like people have. I've seen a lot of people compare it to like Javale McGee or whatever, right? Like, oh, this lost cause. You know, they sign him and look at his talent, and he'll uh, be on the court for a couple of minutes. They're totally different players. Like, Swaggy needs the ball and needs the volume of shots all the time. I would be really concerned about adding him to what they've got. I don't see. I don't, I do not agree with you. I really don't like, he's a crazy person, but I, you know, I had him in Philadelphia for a year. People talk positively about him as a teammate and as a human being. And, you know, yeah, he needs shots. He took, but I think there's also this misconception that he is, that he shoots more than he does over the course of a game. Like he averaged 10 and a half shots a game last year. Now he's not going to get 10 and a half shots a game at Golden State. Maybe it's seven. Maybe he might. Okay. Well, that's true in the offense, but, but, but that's (laughs) even, even more to that point, you know? And and interestingly, I think he played with Iguodala in, in Philadelphia in the past, but, but, you know, Swaggy took seven threes a game last year and he connected on 40% of them. (laughs) Like I get why yeah. the Warriors are interested in that. They want to score points points in bunches, and that's something that that Nick Young can do. And you know, especially when his teammates aren't like Larry Nance Jr. and and uh, first year Brandon Ingram. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like he's going to get open look after open look after open look. And I like the idea of him, you know, sort of as one of the go to scorers on a second unit for this team. I really do. So you is he the Ian Clark replacement? For is sure. That, okay. So, and and how much is there? Did the terms get released on that? One, I don't one year, five point two million. Okay. So I guess maybe I'm just overreacting to his, you know, the general thought process around him. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm maybe I'm overreacting. Maybe he's not like I'm not saying he's a cancer. I just think he's a risk. And if you're the He's a Warriors. There's no shortage of shooters you can grab, I think, that could just do the job, right? Like, I mean, and that being said, maybe I'm sure Swaggy P could have gotten more elsewhere yeah. in terms of years and money. Sure. So this is like a true title chase and probably a stock boost in some ways, investment in himself. But it just seems like a, an unnecessary thing for them. Like, how much closer at best will that this get them to winning a title? Will does get the Warriors to winning a title. Yeah. I think I think yep. that I think they will still 100% win the championship. Yeah. Okay. So, but there's. All right. Fine. You're saying 100% either way. I'm saying 
at best, he, he's a tiny incremental boost to them. And at worst, you know, he's like a dagger kind of for their second unit as opposed to the money that you could otherwise throw at a guy that probably wouldn't be an issue for you. I don't know. I, I don't see that. I see this as a, a really a positive move for the Warriors. I think he is going to... I hope it is. I think he's going to... Uh, really thrive in that environment in Golden State. And, you know, it's <laughs> you got to consider how dysfunctional the environment was in Los Angeles. And that was just such a bad team and such a poorly run team for so long. Like, I don't I don't think there's any question at all that this guy is going to keep his keep his nose clean, stay in line. And, you know, you said stock boost. That's that's an interesting point, too. You know, if. If Nick Young comes into free agency next year, a world champion with you know positive reports from the Warriors, average who averaged like I don't know, we said he might take seven or eight shots a game. So let's say that's ten points a game. On you know he's going to shoot better because he's going to get better looks. On forty-two percent of three, like that's a pretty appealing player next off season. That guy can get a nice three-year contract. Yeah. Okay, we it's this is a circle because we talked about Dion Waiters, right? Like one year, forty two percent type shooter. What was what was Nick Young shooting before this year? Nick Young shot forty percent for three this year. Uh, that was the second highest in his career. Shot forty percent two other times, both in Washington, and he's a career, okay. he's a career almost thirty eight percent three point shooter. Okay, so so not far off. Yeah, that's pretty good. How old is Nick Young these days? Nick Young is 32 years old these days. Okay. So this might be a his maybe not last chance, but a last big chance to win a championship. And mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know that he's going to go out and get like the three-year deal that maybe he would want after this, but he definitely could get another year, and it boosts your general aura. So yeah, for Nick Young, it's a no-brainer. Like no brainer at all, but for the Warriors, I just I just don't. Do you really think that this like really? I, I guess from a locker room and chemistry standpoint, it's much more interesting to me um, because like the energy that he could potentially bring to a champion and like removing the potential staleness. But I, I just mm-hmm. don't think that they'll ever have that issue because they're so good and. They're so they're always chasing every one of those dudes has a chip on his shoulder, and you know they're and they've got this worthy contender for their you know, and so I, I in, in the Cavs and even the Spurs to some extent. So I, I don't like I don't worry about them and think that oh they need like this boost mm-hmm. out of out of Young or like just let the, to rectify some sense of complacency or something. No. I just think that they're going to be fine. They don't need it, but why would you not constantly be trying to get better? And I think he makes you better. I just don't think he does, makes you that much better. Like I think, it, like I said, I think at best he makes you a little bit better. At worst, he makes you. He's a dangerous player to me. And you say but, yeah, you like, say that like you don't think he can get a two or three year deal. I will point out that uh, a gentleman who does nothing but shoot the ball in Cleveland, who true. is who is thirty six years old this off season, yeah. uh, who averaged ten point seven points per game last year. For the Cavs, and mm-hmm. uh, and nine point five for the Hawks, and one Kyle Korver, 
just signed a three-year, twenty-two million dollar contract. So you know, very true. There's you know, there's also reason to think that you know, if this works out and if if Young is good, he puts up those kind of numbers for the for the Warriors next year. You know, there's mm-hmm. no reason that he can't the, that the Warriors won't resign him. The Warriors have shown uh, more than willingness to bring their own guys back. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Um, that's a great point. I I'm, I guess. You, you've shifted my thought process on Nick Young. I'll give it a chance. I just thought maybe, again, maybe I'm overrating his negativity, like mm-hmm. the negative vibes around him. Um, maybe he's, he'll be just fine there. Well, we'll find out over the next 12 months. I, I do think he's going to be just fine. But uh, let's, let's talk, recap, some of the big things that have happened over the past week. And I think the biggest, biggest uh, seismic move to happen – in the NBA was the Chris Paul trade to the Houston Rockets sort of came out of absolutely nowhere, and that would be a be, be a theme for a while. Chris Paul <laughs> traded to the Houston Rockets uh, in exchange for Patrick Beverly, who I love, Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montrezl Hayes, uh, Harrell, Darren Hilliard, DeAndre Liggins, Kyle Wiltshire, a protected first-round pick next year, and cash considerations. Yeah, so um, obviously – Chris Paul, super valuable, mm-hmm. awesome player, changes the trajectory marginally of whatever might happen, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily for the title, but maybe around it, maybe make it a little bit tougher for the Warriors. But I just um, – I, I kind of like <laughs> what the Clippers got, and not just because of the volume of players, but, like, look, if Chris Paul was gone, mm-hmm. and I just don't see – like let's compare that return to what the Bulls got for Jimmy Butler, for example, or like what even you could say what the Pacers got for Paul George. I don't mm-hmm. think it's it's definitely not as much, but I don't think that it's like in a different solar system, right? Like I think that they're that, that they still got a good amount of talent, considering if Chris Paul was a hundred percent gone, and now you add, you know, he's what thirty? You said thirty four. I didn't say it. I didn't say a number. Oh. I don't. I don't... I will look. I'm not Earlier? sure. Not sure. Okay. I, I'm not sure exactly. How, I don't think he's 35. That doesn't feel right to me. 34. Yeah. I think Chris, he's, Chris Paul's 32. 32 years old. Okay. So eh, not, not quite that bad. But again, smaller player, tons of miles, often injured. Like, I, I mean, I just, I don't think the Clippers did that poorly. Like, I, I mean, I know it's a big shift, but mm. I, I think of what the Clippers got in this. And I, and I think that it's the kind of thing that, we could look back someday and be like, wow, they got that guy and that guy and that guy for a rental potentially of Chris Paul. Like, I think that he'll resign, obviously, with Houston. But I don't think they did that poorly here. And, I, and I'm, I'm not sure that they've been getting wrecked for it. I think just the national narrative has just been talking about Paul going to the Rockets. But I, I think that the more interesting piece of this is the Rockets getting all these guys. Well, I mean, a lot of those players are fake. Because a lot of those guys yeah, are yeah, non guaranteed yeah. contracts to make the. Oh, make I was talking work. about the first, the first four guys you mentioned. I'm talking about Harold and okay. Beverly and and Dacker, who I obviously like, and the pick is not bad. Well, the pick's already gone. The pick? Oh, they moved that for who is it for? The Gallinari trade. Oh, Gallinari. Okay. But, so actually, uh, no, I, but yeah, I think it's the. I think it's the first three, really. I'm not the world's biggest Harold fan, 
But you know, I, I love Patrick Beverly. I like Sam Decker. Lou Williams is what Lou Williams is. That is that is a solid return in exchange for a guy you were going to lose for nothing. Yeah, and I just um, I I also thought when they made this move, and maybe this is clouding my judgment a little. I thought this was the Clippers racking it, like taking a racking ball to this whole thing. Yeah, me too. And and um, you know, dumping Blake, and you know, going on and moving on from their trading Jordan and seeing what happens and instead they've kind of built this roughshod team around Mm -hmm. (laughs) around Blake it looks like which I'm not sure I get that part of it but I do like the value I think the value is just fine for 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 them what would have been one year of Chris Paul you're right I I 100% thought this was okay the Clippers are gonna blow this thing up and we're not gonna we're not gonna be talking about them as a challenger in the Western Conference anymore and you know while they probably aren't at least they put themselves in a position where they can be competitive. I lo- I do absolutely positively love Patrick Beverly. I think he's the kind of player who good teams win with because there's no ego. He shoots well from three, and he'll he'll lock down the the opposing team's best perimeter player. Um, from a Blake Griffin okay. perspective, I I kind of get this in terms of like Blake Griffin thinks he's a point guard. So Blake Griffin is now, I mean, God, it's, he might be the primary, primary ball handler for this warrior, for this uh, Clippers team next year. So I totally get why he wanted to do that. I think it's going to turn out poorly uh, and, and we'll see how long that lasts. But I do think that they're going to go into next season with him being the primary initiator on offense. Um, Yeah. So it's an interesting fit, um, you know. I think that the, the the amount, just the sheer amount of players they put around them now, ignoring the the twenty or whatever joke amount of players to get the salaries to match. I'm saying, like, think of the guys that they've built around. They've put. They're now building around Blake Griffin. It's a really strange, eclectic mix, right, of different types of players. If you think about Beverly Jordan. Gallinari, Decker, you know, there's waves of players. I'm I'm just interested in what they're trying to do here. Yeah, and I'm trying to figure out who the shooting guard's going to be on this team, too. I mean, I guess it's Austin Rivers. Ugh. Ugh. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Not ideal. Don't love Austin Rivers, but, you know, you have, you can spread the court a little bit because both uh, Beverly's a, a North of 40% three-point shooter. Gallo was, uh, you know, he's a very good three-point shooter from the small forward position, power forward position. Now he's going to be a small forward, and I have defensive concerns about that. But, you know, I think he's a 38% three-point shooter last year. So they can, they're can they going to be able to spread the court a little bit, you know, I guess. I think uh, Becker's a much better shooter than he was last year, by the way. I know he, he had a rough year, but he's, he's like a better that. shooter than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I like Decker, too. Um, you know, and Lou Williams is there, and... Uh, and what's his name? Uh, Wesley Johnson is there. Bryce Johnson is still oh. coming into his second or third year. That's a guy I've I liked at North Carolina. So there, there's pieces. So what are you thinking? What's going through Jerry West out here? Like what's what's his what's his end game? Because you know that he's not just grizzlying, right? Like he's he's trying to yeah. he's trying to build something big there. What what is this? Is this like let's boost some of these dudes' values and then try to make a run at? somebody or what like what do you think i don't have any idea i really is he grizzlying he might be 
this might be accumulate the best talent you can see where it takes you and then you know jump ship but <laughs> i don't know like i don't because i don't know who the shooting guard is and i don't think a team's ever going to win win anything seriously with austin rivers at shooting guard i also think that you know while while i like the gallo edition i like him as a power forward i don't i don't want him guarding threes under you know any stretch of the imagination God, I, don't, I don't i don't know what do you, what do you think what, what's the plan I have no idea. Like, I think that they're, I I feel like they're building around something big, like making a big play for someone. Mm. I don't think this is a team that wins a title with LeBron in there. Like, I mean, I don't think, and I don't even know if that fits. Ooh, I, interesting. I, it feels weird. The Gallinari thing may, really throws me off. Well, here, how about this? I just got a uh, an update about about the Boston Celtics now. Some of this we knew. The Celtics are shopping Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder to make room for Hayward. But there's another name on that list, and that name's Avery Bradley. Mm. Is apparently available mm. trying to create space for for Hayward. I'll tell you what. If I'm the Clippers, I love me some Avery Bradley in that lineup. Yeah, no, I that, that fits, especially like the toughness. Can you imagine a... Yeah. Beverly, yeah, Bradley. Bradley. Oh my God! Like you, you just—if you're a guard, even if you're just a wing, like you dread seeing the Clippers on the contract on the schedule. If you have Brad, you're going up against Bradley and uh, and Patrick Beverly. Yeah, no question. I um definitely. I that you're you better bring your lunch pail to work there. That those days are going to be rough days for you. So maybe that's what they're doing. Like build out this ridiculously good defensive team that can shoot like all three and D except for you know Gallinari can't defend so minor detail but the other guys are pretty good yeah and also can I tell you there you go um I'm, I'm trying to get myself out of saying that phrase but but I, I will say that in a weird way I kind of feel happy for DeAndre Jordan because of <laughs> Because after all this stuff in, that happened two off-seasons ago and him basically getting locked in his house and forced into resigning with the Clippers, like it would be a, a real D-move for, for Blake Griffin and Chris Paul to leave and just leave, leave, him, with, leave him with like Wesley Johnson and, and Jamal Crawford or whoever, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> – I don't really – I don't find DeAndre Jordan to be the victim in that whole thing. I, yeah, I know, um, I thought, but you know, he his hands were were kind of tied, and he was kind of forced into a decision that perhaps he wasn't going to make. I don't. Yeah. He's making a lot of money, and he's well compensated for it. But right, you know, you know I, I like DeAndre Jordan, and I'm happy that he will not be on a terrible basketball team. Oh yeah, I I couldn't care less either way for about <laughs> him and whatever. But I, I I think it makes it more fun to have a weird team like this because they're they are a very strange group well there's a lot of that now how about uh how about the next move on our list here and that is out of absolute nowhere paul george gets traded to the thunder yeah well that was something so so the pacers come out and say they didn't want to trade him in conference right Mm. and the celtics were offering significantly more if i'm not mistaken yeah the the talk is and you know nobody's ever going to confirm this obviously but the talk is 
that especially around the all-star break the Celtics were offering three first round picks one of which would have would have ended up being the number one pick in the draft this year uh and, and a player for Paul George now you know this is all this is all rumor nothing will ever be yeah. said definitively but it seems like that probably was the offer um and I've seen a couple, uh, a couple of other teams that have offered that allegedly offered considerably more than Victor Oladipo and Demonis Sabonis. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely felt like it was a complete other side of the ledger in terms of what they what you'd expect versus what he actually they actually got for him. Um, that being said, like like you said, we just won't know. And I think that the fact that we've seen what the market's born for. Paul Butler and George, three mm-hmm. you know very good players, maybe not mega elite players, but yeah. very good players. I think that's sort of proven the fact that of what the market was, you know. Like I, I don't, I don't think these future firsts or this year's firsts were out there. It, is, it, it doesn't seem like that. If they were, we, we would have seen these guys dealt right because then the Pacers say like, look, we know what we could have gotten from Paul George. We're not just going to flip him for. Sabonis and Oladipo, like we like we know what the, we'll at least get a first out of this. No, they, they, that wasn't even on the table. I mean, so you wonder, maybe I think I really do think that Celtics deal was on the table. The Celtics have a real proud tradition. The, the Celtics, maybe not three, maybe it's two, but like I can speak yeah. to this personally because you know it was common knowledge that during the All Star at, at the All like by the trade deadline of Okafor's rookie year, and this kills me to this day, just absolutely kills me that the Celtics wanted Okafor and they were trying they tried to get him and offering their um the the pick that eventually became the th- the third pick in the draft uh the Jalen oh, Brown pick oh, Jalen Brown yeah yeah they offered wow. that pick to the Sixers now Hinky wanted more and turned it down and you know cut to s- 6 months later or whatever that deal's not on the table because you know Okafor mm-hmm. is I mean coming off of a good rookie season but there's a little bit more tape on him, and uh, you know a little bit more how to exploit him. But in the Celtics, like it was common knowledge that that offer was made. Common knowledge, and the Celtics yeah. went out and said, "Nope, nope, nope. We never made that trade. We didn't offer that. They're crazy. They're liars." <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. But then on the other side, Danny Ainge literally came out right after Jimmy Butler got traded and was like, "Bull got a good deal for that." Bulls yeah. did better than they would have ever done. You know, like, they got good value. We weren't in the ballpark, whatever. And I, I get that Butler's not George or whatever mm-hmm. else, but it does, I mean, it, if you're saying, I mean, you're, so what you're saying is that's just all BS, right? Like, mm-hmm. these, these these offers aren't on the table, or these offers are on the table. Teams just aren't jumping at them with the Celtics. Well, I think Ainge really cares about being viewed as this incredibly shrewd, difficult negotiator in in terms of his public perception. <laughs> I definitely agree with that. 100% agree with that. And I think – but I also think that in part that that's true. And the other part of it is we talked about this last week. But, you know, I think that he values the guys that he has gotten so mm-hmm. much more than everybody else because he believes in himself so much. And I think that that's why – these future picks or whatever else aren't on the table because he feels like he's created something out of nothing. Maybe uh, that may be the case. And I will say, and I, I wrote this in the, the Gordon Hayward article after he signed like this, this Hayward signing really changes the, like the public perception of Danny Ainge, because mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. he strikes out on everyone, like it looked like he was going to, 
then oh, he's an man. idiot. Like, you know, <laughs> poop or get off the pot. You have all these picks. You have this good team. It's time to turn them into something. And now, you know, it's I was patient. We got our guy for nothing, and we still have these assets to work with moving forward. And, hey, this, this Celtics team is, is flat out set up for the future. You know, next year they have that Nets pick, which looks like it's going to be uh, pretty high again. They have that Lakers pick if it falls two to five. They have their own pick. And, uh, and this is a very, very big man heavy draft, at least so it looks uh, early on. You know, if you're the mm-hmm. Celtics and you luck into a number one pick next year and can add a DeAndre Ayton or, you know, well, Mo Bamba is not going to be the first pick. I think Mo Bamba's going to end up being ineligible after all of this stuff. But, <laughs> but, but if you can add a DeAndre Ayton to this team, oh boy, do you have a roster moving forward? The question is kind of what we talked about last week. Like, okay, you have this roster now. How do you make it all work? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I know the summer league doesn't really mean a lot, but one thing that you kind of can take from him from that is, is the, uh, the improvement of second year players, because you want to see your second year players really dominate and really shine in the summer league setting. And I can tell you, I watched that Celtic Sixers game and Jalen Brown looks like he has gotten leaps and bounds better from last year. Now his handle's still a little bit loose, but the shooting looks a lot more compact. It looks a lot smoother. He looks like he has put work in, and he looks like he is ready to contribute. And he is currently blocked behind Gordon Hayward and Jay Crowder. And at shooting guard, there's Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart. And that doesn't even talk about Jason Tatum, who hit the game winner. Like, where? How right. do you get minutes for these guys and keep, you know, keep everyone's morale up to a point where it's just not cancerous in that locker room? No, I yeah, I, I mean that's a good problem to have, I guess, when you have too much talent. But like we were saying, like, I don't think that they put enough together. Like I I just, in terms of, they have too many pieces and they don't have enough really good pieces. Like they don't have enough championship blue chip players to win a title right now. There's, I mean, that's, I think they would say the same thing. So unless you think that Jalen Brown is going to turn into Blake or whatever, Mm -hmm. something even better, um, and then, or like, if you don't, you know, I, I just, and then you're talking about Tatum and some of the other guys, I just don't think that they have those pieces yet. And maybe Porter's that guy next year or Aton or, you know, Doncic or whatever. And maybe Isaiah Thomas is, you, you think that he's still that going to be that guy for the next three or four years, probably not four, mm-hmm. three years. I, I still really hesitate to think that they're going to be able to compete. Sir, maybe they win the East if LeBron leaves. But then you've got to run into some really good team out in the final, and isn't that the goal? And how do you ultimately get there? Because at some point, these assets turn into players. They've continued to turn into players, mm. and they those players need to still be at the level of the value of the asset. And the you know the player is mm. going to decline. It's like driving the car off the lot. Yeah, it's so, it's, it's Jalil Okafor syndrome. Eventually, that asset turns into a player, and then that player is val that player's value is actually tangible rather than theoretical. Exactly, exactly. And in some cases, that value is way higher and absurdly higher than what they sh- what it should be. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that that's been the case with a lot of who they've had. Well, let's talk about another rumor that cropped up today and to maybe complete this this uh, Boston Celtics team. There's some talk that the Grizzlies are willing to move Marcus Gasol. So, yeah. 
if you're Boston, now obviously contracts are going to be an issue here. Jay Crowder has to be involved and some other guys would have to be involved. What are you willing to sacrifice to get a Marcus Soule to be your center for this team? Because that seems Ooh. like that's a heck of a fit. I like that. Um, Gasol and Horford, man, imagine that like yeah. five years ago. That'd be fun. Yeah, um, that's true. I, 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 I'm so, not sure what it was. How old is Marcus Soule these days? These days, you would be surprised to find out that Gasol's only going to be 33 this season. He is... <laughs> I actually thought he'd be older than that. Um, really? I he is signed for two more years, then has a player option, so that's fake. So let's call it two more years. Basically two at 47. So that's mm. that's a pretty good deal for a multiple-time All-Star, one-time Defensive Player of the Year center, who seemingly yeah. solves a lot of your problems in terms of protecting the rim. I, I would, I'm not sure how that salary wise though because oh, all right so now you have Hayward now you have Horford last year now you you have to think about Isaiah Thomas right that's that's I'm constantly thinking about that for them because yeah. that's that's a big contract that's coming back here even if it's a Lowry deal which I think is the what you've got to look at um you know is there enough space and then you have to think I don't think that's like your last piece to the puzzle I don't know you don't all right so let's say and again, and let's talk about you know what we said before and what has been the market value for this type of player. And I, I would I would argue you know is, Gasol seems like he's actually would would get less in return than than a George than a Paul. Yeah, and, no question. You know, and probably even than a Butler. So let's say no let's say the return is. They apparently, they apparently they apparently love yeah what well, I mean it would have to be Crowder just for the contract but um, mm-hmm. they apparently love Jason Tatum so let's say it's it's Jalen Brown uh, Jalen Brown Jay Crowder and a first round pick so not Tatum no I think they would want to keep Tatum I think the Celtics You're saying, would, oh the Celtics love the Celtics okay. would keep Tatum so. You would, you'd trade no Brown, you trade Brown, Crowder, and a pick, um, and maybe even does, does it have to be the that. Nets pick? I mean, that seems like you're actually no. overpaying at that point. You could probably just have it be your pick, and they, uh, I, I don't, bet, I don't I think bet. it could be your pick because that's going to be that's one of the last picks in the draft. I, I, right. I could, I could uh, see it being that Lakers pick with the potential yeah, of that would... with the potential that you know it's it's kind of like when the when the Sixers traded Jeremy Grant to the Thunder. And we traded it for a top twenty protected first round pick for mm-hmm. until twenty twenty. Um, right. You kind of make the trade knowing that you're going to get a pretty bad two pick. years from now. And I think yeah. that okay. I think that the Lakers are going to be. I think they're going to overplay that two to five slot, uh, especially mm-hmm. especially with how many teams look like they're going to be downright terrible this year. So I think the Lakers yeah. probably pick around eight, you know, eight to ten. 10 probably the high side, and that would be contingent upon them signing one of the, the better free agents who are still in the market that have been linked to them. By the way, the right. uh, the, the George Hill thing to the Lakers terrified me for a while. But um, So let's say you're not, you're going to get that Kings pick in 19. Well, all of a sudden, and it sounds weird to say, but the Kings are having themselves a nice little offseason. 
you know, they add yeah. they add De'Aaron Fox, they add Justin Jackson, they add Harry Giles through the draft, they add Jeff Teague and Zach Randolph through free agency. This is, you know, certainly not one of the worst teams in basketball at this point. This is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're not going to compete for the playoffs in the Western Conference. That's ridiculous, but they're probably in that same 8 to 12, 8 to 13 range. So you're going to get a late so basically it's Jalen Brown, Jay Crowder and a late lottery pick in 2019. I think you could have stopped after Jalen Brown uh, before think, you said you, all that. I think you got to give a first round. You got to give up a first a round pick. 33 year old Marcus for a team that's not anywhere near contention. Like, you know, there's that's a no brainer for me. You're saying not the the Grizzlies not near contention. Gonna, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I was going to say yeah. the Celtics are. Uh, they're no, the epitome no, no, no. of a contender at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what I, is, no, I... I let, all right, let's 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 say they can hold on to Bradley. They go and they make the Gasol trade. They go... They go Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Gordon Hayward, Al Horford, uh, Marcus Gasol with... Gasol with um, Smart... Uh, what's his name? Smart Tatum. and Tatum as their, as their top two off the bench. How does how does that compete? Does, can that beat us up, the Cavs right now? No, I think it can. No chance. I think it can. No way. I There's really do. No way. They just got swept away, and they had fine. They had a decent big, a good, very good big, and Marcus all fun. But and a very good no... and a very good small forward in Gordon Hayward. Who I. I mean, there's just not enough talent there. There isn't. There's oh, no I way. I think you're crazy. Nah, there's not even. I hope this happens so we can talk about it. There is just no chance they would compete with the Cavs. And uh, God forbid LeBron gets hurt, maybe. Then you have, the, obviously, then you're the favorite. But even it, even giving them home court advantage, I just don't. There's no chance. By the what way, was this year like? Like, was it even close to you? You're, you're like, no, this, no. You know. no, but they add it. But you add, you know, first of all, and maybe the most important part of this equation is that LeBron James is a year older, but the Celtics. Oh, all, so is Gas. Yeah. Yeah, fine, but they didn't have Gasol last year, so that doesn't factor into the equation. Because uh, he is he is Bad. still superior. Yeah. Well, they had a rookie, Jalen Brown, who did who nothing. was pretty good in that series. That was uh, his kind of coming out party at the I, end of that. I don't. I think we're romanticizing how well Jalen Brown played against the Celtics. I mean, that's fair. Somebody had to play okay, but I don't know. Right. I just. I think that's a because the that, team sucks. Right. I think that's a lot closer than you think it is. Like I, I think it's, it might be. I think Gasol gives the Cavs fits because they'd have no one to match up with him. What are you kidding? Tristan Thompson is a perfect matchup for Marcus oh, Gasol. Gasol is perfect. so much more talented. And now, if if. I'm not saying that he's better or uh-huh. whatever, but like, I first of all, also Horford and Gasol are a year older, which is going to affect them more than it affects the Browns. But that's true. Anyways, um, you know, I, I think that uh, so if you take Tristan and Jr. off the team and you add Mello, then I think the Celtics have a better chance matchup wise, assuming they also get Gasol because. I think the Cavs would then, you're right, have really a terrible matchup. I think that's a bad, that's a big problem for them because that, I, I like the idea of the Celtics trying to zig or the Warriors zag. Mm-hmm. So trying to fill all the things that the Warriors don't and make the Cavs work because they, they can't match up with both those teams, assuming the Celtics were to get another big like this. Yeah. Well, nobody but, can match up with the Warriors. You can't try and match up with the Warriors. That, that'll only hurt the team trying to do it. 
Well, I'm I'm just saying it merely from the point of view that, like, say that they get, say they have to give up one of those two bigs for and a, and a two for like a guy like Melo. Mm-hmm. Then just the salary wise, then you know, then they match up more neatly with the Warriors. But it doesn't. I'm not saying that they're better or anything. They just they on paper they fit better against them. But in that scenario, the Celtics totally own them in the front court. So that's interesting to me. I've been saying this since we started talking about it, and uh, I'm going to stand really firm on this. Come opening day, Carmelo Anthony will be in the Cleveland Cavaliers starting lineup. Totally agree. I I 100% think that's going to happen. And it's entirely possible it's going to happen as a buyout now. So maybe you don't even have to give up. You know, maybe you don't ha- even have to give up an Amon Schumpert, which they were willing to do uh, in that cost-cutting move with Houston until Houston sort of bailed and realized they can do better by just signing P.J. Tucker, um, who also happens to be a super close friend of Chris Paul, by the way. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and how, while we're talking about that, how about – do you feel for the Jazz at this point? Because, like, the Jazz went out and got the yeah. point guard. They went out and got the point guard who, who Gordon Hayward wanted to play with in Ricky Rubio. Then, you know, they re-signed Joe Inglis, um, who is, you know, a valuable player, but he's also a guy who's super close to Hayward. They did everything humanly possible to keep Gordon Hayward on that team, and I was I thought they were going to up until the very last minute. Um, but, yeah, like, I feel bad, especially because, you know, it's unique when a team like that can kind of show the potential to emerge into something significant. And I thought the Jazz were really on the cusp of being, you know, one of the top teams in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. No, no question. I mean, I think it would have been, you know, it's just so hard because of the super teams, but yeah. they were definitely sort of peripherally involved. And I think that, you know, Hayward going, obviously, is it just kills it. It kills yeah. their whole franchise. And you can tell in the way that, that the GM or president responded, and it was just like, oh, man, you, you have to feel for that team. Yeah. Yeah, and those fans. You love what they're doing. Like, they draft well. And Donovan Mitchell, I mean, it's summer league, so, you know, nothing really means anything. But Donovan Mitchell has looked spectacular in a couple of summer mm. league games. And there's there was just so much reason for hope and so much reason for excitement with this team. And it's just, it's gone now. Because, you know, who, who is it? It's Gobert who is going to get a much larger role in the offense, and that's probably going to be end up being a negative uh, with <laughs> with Ricky Rubio, who I love, but he's compl- he's a complimentary yep. player who does not he can't shoot the ball, so he's limited. He fits perfectly with Hayward, but not so much without Hayward. And who and Rodney Hood, like that's the big three now. Ugh, that's like, rough. That's a bad team. Like they're they have to hope that Exum turns into what people expected Exum to turn into. I don't think that's going to happen, but like, that's the only thing you can really hang your hat on at this point, because what else do you have? Oh yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I think that um, I, I would have, I, do you think they wouldn't have done the Rubio deal in retrospect if they no. knew that they weren't getting Hayward? Nope. Not doing it. So that's, that's crazy to me. Like, how do you not vet that with Hayward? Well, they, I'm sure – I think that they were sure that they were, that Hayward was going to stay. And, like, can I tell you what? Yeah. Uh, I don't – I really don't think that – like, people are really, like, kind of crapping on Hayward for this decision. I really do think that Hayward is a fairly genuine guy 
and that when he says this was an incredibly hard decision for me, that it was actually an incredibly hard decision for him. And it was a situation where, you know, a lot of circumstances had to line up perfectly for him to leave Utah. You know, it happened. It had to be like a, a team where he was a perfect fit with his old college coach, yeah. making an incredible amount of money on a team that already has both success and stars. Like so much had to line up for him to leave, and I, I you know, I don't think that was something that he did easily. I don't think this was was a was sort of like LeBron going to the Heat or anything like that. But yeah, but it's it's you know, it just looks bad and it's hard, and you feel for Jazz fans. You like you really, I know, really I, feel for Jazz fans. I I never gonna count someone's money. Like that's fine if, it, if that's what he wanted to do. That's fine. I just like. I, it just sucks to your mm-hmm. point. Like it sucks that this happens. It sucks that we've got these guys. I mean, it's fun when it's your team, but it really does just suck for, yeah. <laughs> for jazz fans. And it's the part of the NBA and really all sports, but really the NBA, especially where you just kind of throw your hands up and say, like, what are you going to do? You know, like you can't both hate the player and, you know, like the, I don't know, in the whole situation, it's, it's, and then also say that they should have the freedom to do whatever they want. So it's like, it's tough. Like, and I said the same thing about Durant last year. Like I, I it sucks. It's really sucks for the thunder, but you can't blame Durant for going and doing what he did. And in many cases, I, in many ways, I think that it was, you know, laudable that he wanted to go to the, yeah. the better contender that he wanted to chase rings that he was willing to take less money. And, and I think that I'm not, I don't think Hayward, Hayward probably took a little less, right? Because, yeah, you, ha- you have to, because yeah. you just can't get the same contract by not resigning with the uh, with the Jazz that you can with the Celtics. So taking right. it's going to be less. It's not you know it's not Kevin Durant giving up nine and a half million dollars a year, but mm-hmm. for sure gave up less. Uh, gave up some money, and uh, you know, here's a little bit a little bit of hope for the Jazz fans. Um, but who, by the way, I will get to see uh, very closely in about an hour and a half as they square off against the Philadelphia 76ers in the Utah Summer League. Oh, boy. Here we go. Um, the Jazz, in their first game against uh, a pretty good San Antonio Spurs Summer League team, and uh, you know, I can't I can't say this enough, the Summer League doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot, but you know, you like, it, you're always happy to see production over, over struggles, and uh, the Spurs team is a, a pretty solid one that includes – Guys like Davis Bertans and Jerron Blossom game, Brent Forbes, DeJounte Murray, Ben Bentil, Levo Jean Charles, Derek White. Like guys who are actually members of the, the proper San Antonio Spurs. Uh, the, the Jazz backcourt looked awesome. Uh, Dante Exum yeah. Dante Exum went seven for twelve, including two of five from three, along with six rebounds and five assists uh, for eighteen points. And um, Donovan Mitchell went ten of seventeen, three of six from three with two rebounds and five assists and three steals for 23 points. So, you know, you know at least at least that's something, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I, I mean, look, I, <laughs> I'm telling you, get in the Bulls' boat and just tank this thing. Tank this thing right now. I mean, they may have no choice but to tank it and just, like, roll out Exum and whoever else they've got. And, you know, there's good – it's good. They've got some signs of hope flickering there. Um, they're obviously a little bit – further along because they have you know the favorite they've they've got some good pieces there but i just like don't waste your time with ricky rubio don't waste your time with english even like i I mean i would i would go down the line and and let the kids play let mitchell play a ton and um 
you know, and just try to build it back up by getting better players. And just like, cause otherwise there's no Avenue, like you said, like no free agents are coming there. That's why it's such a sad situation. So you've got to, you got to build it back up, build well, it, break it down and build it back up. Yeah. This is uh this is kind of a best case scenario for Dante Exum because he is very much going to be thrown into the fire. Uh, this will be his, yep. his fourth NBA season. Uh, well, third, but wow. I know, right? Well, his third, but he missed the entire, uh, he missed his second year. Um, right. with the injury, you know, got better last year, but that's only because he couldn't have gotten a lot worse. Had a, his per was an eight point, and his per was an eight point five. His VORP was a negative zero point one. Um, but he was a twenty one year old coming off of an injury. Shot thirty percent from three. That's kind of terrible. So, it's but terrible. you would think, like, I mean, Rodney Hood's there. Are they? But you know, we say all of this, but like, you know. You know perfectly well that their starting lineup going into the season is going to be, it's going to be like it's going to be Rubio, Rodney Hood at the two, like a forty-eight-year-old Joe Johnson at the three. <laughs> question question mark at the four. I don't know. Is Trey Lyle still there? Did he get did he get traded to or from Utah? I honestly can't remember. And, I thought he got traded to. Yeah. Okay, that then Trey then Trey Lyles, and um, where was? Could be wrong about that. Where was? Oh, we'll find out in a sec. Um, Trey Lyles was no, he got traded from Utah. So whoever at power forward, and uh, and Rudy Gobert at center, and you know that's a a team that is going to struggle. Like they'll be a good defensive team. Like (laughs) Rubio and Gobert are elite defender defenders at their position. Hood is good. Joe Johnson is well, he's on the team. And whoever (laughs) whoever the power forward is, you you would think you're looking for a stretch four in that situation. Favors, not favors. Oh, I guess favors has to. I, favors kind of has to be the yeah. starter at that point. That that makes sense. I, I mean, was like, am I am, did I miss him get dealt? I know there were rumors, but yeah, I mean, he is just you know, Derek Favors should have been. He's like Okafor. He should have been in the NBA 15 years ago. And the he's not that bad. Totally bad yeah, but he doesn't. He can't shoot. Yeah, minor detail. Minor detail, just the single most important thing in today's NBA. But uh, that's you. You know that's going to be the starting lineup. You know that they're going to win. Oh God, they're going to they're going to win games on defense alone. Not a lot, but enough to keep them out of the high, like high lottery. So yep. Let's say they're a lottery team, but they're they pick nine next year, maybe ten. Like that's the worst place to be in basketball. That is. Hey, listen, I'm. <laughs> I, how about 16? 16's a pretty terrible place to well, be. Well, it's, um, it's any consolation. I don't think it's going to be 16 next year. No, I did. That is a consolation. I'm counting on that. I'm counting on it being three or two or one. So, yeah. Oh, my God. I, Derek Favors has been in the NBA. This is going to be his seventh year in the NBA. Wow. No, that is I'm. To me. 10, that 11, can't be right. 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. This is nope. It is that is you know I'm 100 percent wrong. This is going to be his eighth year in the NBA. What? Right? Wow. He I know was he, pretty good last year though. Uh, so last year for the Utah Jazz, Derek Favors played in 39. He started in 39 of 50 games for the team. Played 23 minutes of contest. Averaged 9.5 points and 6.1 rebounds. Yeah. Yeah, and actually had more steals than blocks, which I, I would not have guessed. 
I don't know. <laughs> and I wouldn't advise it either. Yeah. For, for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. Um, God, I don't know. Like I, the moral of the story is I feel for jazz fans. I've been there for a long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, this, the jazz kind of feel like the 76ers to me before, like after we made the Bynum trade with, with, with Thad Young and Andre Iguodala and Drew Holiday and those guys on the roster. And they're probably going to be a, a seven or an eight seed, although the Jazz probably don't have that. If not a top three. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's just they're going nowhere. The core as it is is wait, not. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just imply that the Jazz are going to be a seven or eight seed? No, I said they probably don't have that upside. Oh, okay. Yeah, There's no, 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 no. no I agree. Playoff. No, they're not going to be a playoff team. I like I like I said. I think they're going to pick in that like nine to eleven range in the draft next year. Which yeah, they're gonna they're gonna be a little too good. Yeah, especially with so many teams going to be really really bad. Yeah, and the West is looking good, especially at the bottom now. It's crazy. It's crazy, and this is all the more argument for you know, you know how how did you feel when. You know, we, there's that sort of discrepancy between the talent in the East and the West, and there was a lot of talk about, well, should should playoff seeds not be based on conference and just be based on overall record? Well, it it I know it's a different era now than it was when they first created them, but you can't do that in the NBA. It's not like the NFL where the conferences aren't based on geography, right? Uh-huh. So... That, that holds less weight to me, although I get it. I could go for reseeding in the final four or eight, though. I don't know. I just feel like there are some bad, some uh, some good teams in the West are going to be sitting at home when some bad teams in the East are playing really bad playoff oh. games. Oh, oh but I, I, it is sort of cyclical, I think. I mean, it hasn't been in the last 15 years, but right. you would think that it will again. How about this? How about how about we meet in the middle here with this little rule change? You know, instead of the top eight seeds, we're going to take the top six from each division, and then that next that last four is going to be based solely on record. Uh, okay, sure, yeah, I'm cool with that. You're saying in each conference separately? Yeah, in each con no, in each conference, the top six teams record wise make the playoffs. After that. The last four playoff seeds are based solely upon overall record. If it's four teams in the East, so be it. If it's four teams in the West, so be it. But how do you place them? Like, where do you put them? Uh, so that, that does create an interesting question. It's, it's going to have to just be established that, uh, let's say the team, the, the weaker of the conferences, as determined by some sort of... Overall record. So, overall record metric, yeah, gets... You know, they get the the seven and the twelve like you would in any regular yep. tournament. Eight or twelve, yeah, yeah, eight, yeah that's no, right. eight I'm, or twelve. Sorry, no, no, 12. I was right. Yeah, was no, right. that would be seven and twelve. Nine and twelve, right? Yes, yes. No, I don't know. Look, the the <laughs> yeah. best and the worst of the teams that yep. will be joining the got playoff fray. I think you're on to something there. Or my favorite idea with the NFL, mm-hmm. you the buy teams get to draft. The teams, they get to pick their next opponent once they've moved on. Something like that. Where, like, the one seed would have to pick whichever of the four that are left 
and like make just add that rivalry to the whole thing. That is fun. That's what I, I I love that idea for the NFL. You throw, all right, instead of like, oh, the one seed plays the lower seed or whatever, and the two seed plays the higher seed or Mm -hmm. vice versa, you know, like have it be, say, you know, the Eagles are the one seed, the Packers are the four, and like the Cowboys is on another five. Well, the Eagles would rather play the Packers than the Cowboys, so they pick them. That would just create so much fun and hostility. Exactly, exactly. That's the first thing I thought of when you said that is that that is fun because like that's such an insult to the team that's picked. Yeah. Think but, of the rivalries. Yeah, like that, the Warriors call out the Cavs. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is a, that would be a lot of fun. Um so here's here's where things stand at this point. Uh we've we've talked about three trades and a couple free agent signings. There are like 700 more. Uh we have not we have not even discussed the Philadelphia 76ers giving JJ Redick 23 million dollars for one year. Oh uh, yeah. Stuff like that. But we're at like 123 right now. I don't want to go super long. So that's uh, we're going to have to end it here. And we'll, we'll just sort of recap more of the free agency stuff next week and uh, whatever happens in the meantime. The Carmelo trade, Carmelo buyout, cough, cough. Until then, yep. I've been Chris Forwardell. He's been Anshu Kana. This has been the Deepish Thoughts Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for rating, reviewing. Keep it up. And we'll see you back here next week.